Hebrews Bible Study, number 28, the fifth exhortation begins. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hebrews 11 covered the vast importance of faith which counters, eclipses, and replaces the first-century Jewish understanding of religion. The author establishes his agreement with St. Paul and St. James that one is part of God's people by faith, lives by faith, and does all works as flowing from faith. Yet with all the examples of Old Testament saints that he gives, one may be left asking, so what? Why bring up all of these personages when he could have simply made his case about faith? We must concede to the basic hermeneutic principle that description is not the same as prescription. To confuse these two is to teach falsely. For example, many a liberal theologian has attempted to justify female ordination on the grounds that Deborah prophesied that women were the first to see and proclaim the risen Christ, etc. But none of these descriptive events entail a command or permission to ordain women. To the contrary, the prescriptive verses which touch on the matter expressly forbid it. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 33 through 35 and 1 Timothy 2 verses 12 through 15. The author of Hebrews maintains this important distinction between description and prescription when using the Old Testament saints as illustrations of his theological point, which is that faith is necessary for any relationship with God. But at the same time, it would be irresponsible exegesis for us to ignore the veritable flood of examples he provides and not see that he is aiming to make a secondary point. This point is explored in the fifth exhortation for which the saints serve as an encouraging crowd. For commentary, the first verse says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, though the author prescriptively spoke of faith as the sole means to God and the central characteristic of sanctified life, the saints that he brings up serve as an encouraging edifice. They are witnesses, not mere corpses, precisely because through their faith they receive eternal life. 
He continues saying, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. A result of seeing the cloud of Old Testament witnesses should be encouragement and greater motivation. If they did it by the power of faith, then so shall I by the grace of God. And he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When commenting on the presence of saints in heaven looking down and showing us through their earthly lives that one accomplishes things by faith, the author tells us the place of the saints in our lives. He does not say, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, therefore let us pray to them or seek their intercession. He more or less places them as examples for us to follow so that we can run the endurance race that is earthly life as a Christian. Note also that the author says we are running an endurance race. We are not on a cart as God drags us across the finish line. We are expected to do things as Christians through the faith which God has granted us. This is not to say that we are supposed to rely only on ourselves. The Christian can do nothing without God. We rely on God in toto for salvation, for our daily bread, for everything. But we are still expected to do things and live an active Christian life, taking an active part in our sanctification. Moving on to the second verse, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The author has already established that Jesus Christ is God. He is fully divine and fully man. The author tells us pretty plainly that he is the second person of the Trinity. But his actions in time, the moment of eminence in which our Lord Jesus ministered to humanity and died for our sins, established a clear-cut distinction between those who follow Jesus Christ and those who do not, making him the founder not of a new religion or sect, but the founder of the only surefire path to salvation. The author also calls him the perfecter of our faith, meaning that he completes, teleologically, the Christian faith. Without him, there is no Christianity, and without him we would have no hope to have the same faith that the cloud of Old Testament witnesses have who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Being crucified is not pleasant, we understand that. It is one of the most torturous ways to die, especially since one is displayed to the crowds to be mocked and scorned. However, our Lord Jesus went to this cross for the sake of joy that would be after the cross. His joy presumably is at our salvation, 
at humanity being redeemed and at the honor, glory, and authority over all creation which is granted to him because he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And verse 3 states, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. By saying, consider him, the author establishes Christ as the chief example to whom we should look. The cloud of witnesses is one thing, and they are very encouraging. But our Lord Jesus, our Savior, who died for our sins, he who had no sin, who is God, is the prime example of steadfastness under all suffering and hostility. Now this does tell us that the congregation of Hebrews to whom the author writes is facing persecution. There would be no exhortation to do this if they were not facing down difficult times. However, it applies to all Christians, because he continues saying, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So long as any Christian may grow weary or faint-hearted, he should be considering Christ, who endured far worse than we ever could. Before explaining more of this aspect of the theology of the cross, the author of Hebrews wants to establish first and foremost that nobody has experienced and underwent the theology of the cross more than our Lord Jesus Christ, who literally went to the cross for us. Next week, we will discuss his explanation in greater detail. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.